It's tax season, and for those that are newly widowed, this can be uncharted territory as your loved one may have been the one that managed all the finances. As I've been speaking to widows and widowers, I've come to hear the stories not only about managing the complications of the grief journey, but also navigating the financial, legal, and tax considerations, all of which can be quite overwhelming. Today's episode sheds some light on what to expect when you file your first tax return after your loved one's loss. Today's guest, Elisa Meyer, who's a certified public accountant in Temecula, California, provides her experience and insight on financial and tax considerations that most folks do not talk about, especially in the context of death. One key element that she addresses is what we know as the widow's tax. I bet many of you do not know what it means. It is one of the least known taxes. I call it the double whammy for those that are widowed. The widow's tax, which some consider to be one of the most repulsive parts of the Internal Revenue Service tax code, can add financial pain to already an emotional time. Given my background in finance and real estate, this tax has certainly triggered me to consider some advocacy efforts to educate our local and national legislators. I do not understand why we further impact the vulnerable population of widows and widowers by in essence penalizing them for the loss of their spouse. Today's episode not only can help the widowed community, but can also be very informative for those that need to really take a look at their estate planning. Planning ahead for the inevitable that we will all face can be a gift to those that we leave behind. So if you have any questions on today's episode, please reach out to me at widowsthatwine at gmail.com. Thank you. Hi, Elisa. I'm pleased to welcome you to the Widows That Wine Together podcast. Um, just a little background on Elisa. She's a certified public accountant in Temecula, California. She's been preparing our personal and real estate business taxes for nearly 10 years. And when I became a widow in 2021, she spotlighted some key tax implications that most individuals do not necessarily consider. So as we were recently discussing details on the 22 tax return, I indicated that she needed to be part of this podcast to share her knowledge and expertise with the widowed community. So I'm excited to have you here, Lisa. So welcome. Yay. <laughs> Thank it's, you for being here. It's not the funnest topic, but it's it's something that just needs to get out there. Yes, agree. agree. So I know you're extremely busy. I mean, as you're, you have the federal tax filing deadline just around the corner. So I really do appreciate your time taking uh, the time to kind of go over this information for, for widows and widowers, some, some key information. So let's start a little bit with uh, your background and your accounting practice, letting the, the audience know a little bit about you. So I've been a CPA for about 25 years now. And um, one of the areas that I've um, been focused on for quite a few years is the the trust and estate taxes and helping uh, families and um, individuals go through the process of fixing things up after someone has passed your mom dad uh, husband wife and and just getting all the tax returns filed and then also just kind of going through the 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 process of like the the trust or the estate administration process. So it, it's, it's been wonderful because you get to help people when they're in a, a point in their lives where it's, it's, um, it's devastating and they need support and it, you're just very vulnerable at that, that's, that stage. 
So I've, I've just really enjoyed supporting my different clients. And I think with your expertise and, and those scenarios, I think that's what's going to be beneficial with the topics that we're going to cover, you weaving in some of that information that can be relatable to those that are in those particular situations. That's key. Okay. Well, good. So, Elisa, let's start off with, again, it's those tax fundamentals, you know, when folks are getting ready to do their taxes. And, and in some cases, some may have relied on the spouse, right, the one that passed to do a lot of these financial items. So maybe kind of walking through those key elements kind of with the foundational piece when we talk about tax status, right? Yeah. When you go to file that, what does that mean when you go from, you know, they start to hear these different things of you were married filing jointly, but now you're a qualifying widower, or you could be head of household, or you could be single. What does that look like? And then what does that do to that tax liability? Yeah. So it, it makes a big difference. You're going through a, a transition. So usually the, the first year that your, your spouse or your significant other, they, they passed away. What ends up happening is you still fair, uh, file married finally jointly because they're still, still with us in that year. And then the second year, it becomes a little bit more tricky because it, there's a lot of different qualifiers. If um, you have children that are under the age 18 or they're at co college age as full-time students, then you would qualify as a, a, a head of household instead of a, um, a single. And then the next um, a qualification would be is if you don't have any, uh, you, if you have a dependent child, but you're not remarried, there's a qualifying widower. And then sometimes if there's nobody that is a dependent, then you could wouldn't may at that point be single. So it's really, really important that you actually get the, the advice of what status you qualify for because each of those filing status has different standard deductions. And so it could make a, a big difference on what your um, tax liability would be. So just to kind of give you a a range for the 2022 tax year. If your your standard deduction as single is 12,950 and if you're married filing jointly or surviving spouse, it's 25,900 and if it's married um it's head of household with with dependents, it's 19,400. So it can make a huge difference of what your standard deduction is. And it also makes a big difference on your, your um, tax rates of what tax brackets you're going to be in. So you really want to seek a professional to make sure that you're using the different statuses correctly and getting the most, um, most efficient tax uh, liability in that year. Yeah. So when you're saying that like 19,400, I think you said it was head of household, right? Kind of going mm -hmm. down to the 12,950. I mean, that's, that is a big difference. That's seven, it's a huge difference. $7,000. Yeah. Or mm -hmm. married. The biggest jump really is if you're, you've got no children and you're married filing jointly, and then you go to single it's half. Right. So half. yeah. Yeah. So you, you've got these uh, pensions that are coming in that haven't just been discontinued after your, your spouse has passed. You're all of a sudden now in a much higher, um, uh, tax situation than you were before because you've so got the income with a lot less deduction. So it's yeah. a double whammy, right? You get yep. a standard um, deduction gets cut in half. Plus then you were saying is you can go into a higher tax bracket. Exactly. The single tax bracket is going to be much higher. So like just for a, a quick example, if you're making about $50,000 married, you'd be in the 12% tax bracket for 2022. But if you're single making $50,000 for 2022, it'd be 22% um, tax bracket. 
So it's, it's a huge jump one way or the other. So really utilizing what status that you can file at, it makes a big difference. It's not something to take lightly. You want to make sure that you, you get advice on, on what, what's your best scenario. So when you have widows and widowers, kind of they're processing the death of their spouse, right? And now they're having to now start to financially plan to do that look ahead of the year ahead. Now they're going to have to make some financial decisions, right? Exactly. And I think this is what I was sharing with you recently that I, I've kind of gotten a little passionate about from an advocacy standpoint, because, you know, some of these things is no fault of our own this happened, but then the federal government, you know, the, these there's implications. Folks that are on, like you're saying, $50,000 a year, they just, they lost that extra source of income in a sense because of the tax piece. And I think there needs to be some focus and conversation. That's probably a topic for later, but I'm just planting that seed because I, I think there needs to be an awareness with legislators and others of, gosh, you've got this, this population of, of individuals that just got impacted and now you just layer another piece on them. Exactly. And it, it, it kind of be that first year is kind of a little bit of a surprise because you're just not really prepared. You're, you're, sometimes it's a surprise because all of a sudden, um, if you have a two earner household and now you've only got one, one income, you've got a, a decrease in your income and now you've got a tax bracket increase and, and right. your standard deduction totally changes. So it's kind of, um, you just kind of have to, look ahead and ask some questions like so then that way you're not you're you're um you're coming up with a plan and it's not to kind of compound because the other topics we're going to touch upon it just it's almost like one thing after another right exactly (laughs) need to be considered so okay so you've got the tax filing and the higher tax bracket considerations and and maybe at this point too I'd, i'd like to highlight is for some who may have let's say that first quarter of the year have their their loved one pass you know, we, we have this April deadline and if something's so recent, cause you, I think you shared an example of, of someone you worked with who had the spouse had just passed days before and they reached out to you is, is there ability to do a tax extension? Because this is the last thing that they want to deal with and, and handle. Right. But some may reach out to you. Exactly. And the considerations there. Yeah. So some things to really think about is sometimes that um, if, if your spouse has passed and they were the person that mostly took care of the tax returns, they're not in a place to do the filings. And maybe you didn't have that communication and it what maybe wasn't the biggest priority. So always look in to see if there's an extension. And if for some reason you've missed the deadline, you have a valid reason that you, you missed the deadline. And IRS knows that if you've had someone recently pass and they were ill and you were a caregiver, that a lot of times they're going to give you a, abatement from the, whatever penalty would be assessed to, to say, okay, this is a reasonable cause that you were not able to make your tax obligations. Because it, it takes a, a few minutes just to kind of recover. And it may not be the first priority. There's a lot more things that that you have to, you're, you're um, should be more focused on. Right. Taxes can't be, you know, the main focus. You've got to focus on your, your um, yourself, your family, your children, and just kind of um, going through that process of grieving. Right. And it's the prioritization. And as many of us know, kind of that widow's fog and it, it's all blur. And so it just all yeah. depends kind of that, that timing and what stage we're in. Okay. And so appreciate you giving kind of that foundational piece. And so I think another thing that many widows and widowers go through because the family, they think they may know best or things like that. And then they start coming at you, right? You're in that widow's fog and they're like, you need to move. You need to do this. You need to, you know, all these big financial kind of considerations, right? Because someone's biggest asset is their home. 
right? And there are some tax implications with that too. And I have to say, just personally, you know, you've heard me say this to you. I was so appreciative. This was about two weeks after Keith had passed. I ran into you at the grocery store and you gave me the best advice that has stayed with me. And, And you mentioned, don't make any key decisions for two years. Yeah. And now that, you know, I'm getting close. It's that 18, almost 17, 18 months kind of mark getting to that two year time frame. I look back and go, oh my gosh, I'm glad I didn't make those decisions. No. Right. Because I would have had some regrets. So talk about the different considerations about real estate, what that means with exemptions, you know, property, that piece yeah. of it, what it means with property taxes. That's the part folks don't realize. Yeah. And no. then maybe two, you know, there's also this stepping up and all that stuff when it comes to down the road with, with family, but why don't you talk about that? I think yeah. So, so I'm going to go for start kind of first start with like the emotional side of it. So a lot of times everybody has an opinion of what you should be doing, but the problem is, is that you don't really know at that point, because there's been a complete change and a reset of where you're going to be moving forward and you're not quite sure. So you, you, it's not a good time to make a decision because some of those decisions that you make early on, can really financially impact how things are going to go move forward. So one of the things is, is that a lot of times people, um, they want to sell their house and that's, that may not be the best decision because what happens is the house that you're living in may be more affordable than to try and do something else or move to an area that maybe you don't have job or support to to help you. And part of that also financial decision is that if you, um, have owned a home for a very long time and you have a, a very low basis, you you want to make sure that you're taking advantage of different tax rules. And one of them is, is that when a spouse passes and it, and this also depends on the state. So California, we're community property state, you get a step up in basis. So that house gets stepped up to the, um, the fair market value as the, as the date of death of the spouse. And so at that point, then you can get an appraisal and if you do go sell the house, that would help eliminate some of the capital gains. So is that a, that's a key consideration. So that step up. So at that uh-huh. point in time, and even if you kind of hearing this now for the first time, they can still go back and have an appraisal done as of that point in time. Exactly. Right? And, that, it, and that now elevates because you could have bought your house for 250000 right? Yeah. And now you're saying, okay, spouse died. You can go and now your house is worth 700,000 do an appraisal. So that resets that tax basis. Exactly. Exactly. So then that helps eliminate some of the capital gains. The other thing is too, is sometimes uh, your house will go down in value. If it goes down in value, you don't necessarily have to take a step down in basis. You would still use the cost basis of the, of the house of what you purchased it with your, your, your significant other spouse. So what ends up happening with with that is there's a couple of different rules in place because the real estate market goes up and down. So if let's say uh, 10, 10 years ago, your spouse uh, passed away and the house is worth $100,000 and that, that same house is um, worth a million dollars, you've got a $900,000 gain. As a single uh, uh, person, you only have an exclusion of 250000 now, if the real estate market was really active and within that two-year period, you um, sold the house, you have two years after your spouse dies in order to take a married exclusion, which is $500,000. And that's double as a, a single. So you really want to kind of look at that to your mark. Like that's about the time that you're, you're able to make a decision or know what you want to do. One thing that people don't really talk about is property taxes. 
So what, what happens is when you buy a house and you've had it for quite a few years with, with your spouse, sometimes that house, you purchased it, like we'll use the hundred thousand mark again. Well, that house about 20 years ago, you bought for a hundred thousand, you're paying property taxes on that um, property tax base. Now you go to sell it and you're underneath um, the age based on the, the county. You can transfer your property tax base with you, but you have to be within the um, the regulations of the county of what they're allowing you to transfer that over. So if you sold your, your family home that was 2,500 square feet, it's too big, you're by yourself, and then all of a sudden now you want to go get a little condo, you have to be careful because that condo might actually cost you more per month because of the property tax piece right. of it. Especially here in California too, with mm -hmm. the prop propositions that were passed around that, right? Exactly, exactly. And those rules are county by county based. So that's something that you really want to look into the rules of your county and how it would transfer from one county to another in California, or if the county will even allow you to do that. So you really want to know what your options are, because that's a huge financial piece that that property tax, it doesn't go away. It's due every single year. But see, that's yeah. the piece most folks don't think about, right? Mm -hmm. They know of this, they, like you mentioned, that $250,000 or $500,000 exclusion, but the property tax base, mm -mm. they don't take, take that yep. into account. Exactly. You can have a paid off house, but um, your property tax base gets to adjust it to a much higher amount. Your, your monthly expenses are going to be much more expensive, even though you're quote unquote downsizing. Exactly. Yeah. Elisa, let's go back to that step up. So from your profession I and mean, what the IRS looks for to, to re-benchmark that baseline of that tax basis, does it have to be a, an official or appraisal? Because a lot of folks might reach out to real estate agents and some do those comparative market analysis that kind of show other comps and things. And that at that point in time, it does have to be by an appraisal, correct? Or appraiser, I should say. Exactly. You really want to get it done by a certified appraiser. That is going to be your best reliable source. There is one other source, Jenny, that you can use, but I it, it's not as official and probably not as clear. Is they will allow a broker's opinion on a broke uh, on their their letterhead that clearly states as of the date of death, this is the value of the home. The sales compare analysis that's not an official appraisal. They're not considered quote unquote qualified to make that, that um, determination. So if you really want to make sure you have an ironclad backup, mm -hmm. the appraisal, it's, it's, it's kind of a cheap insurance policy. Right. I mean, some of them I think are probably like maybe four, $600, but that's setting that new basis and it can save quite a bit of money in taxes by doing that. Yeah. I just want to make sure that folks under that those that are listening, understand that because if they have real estate and again, having been in the, been, been or being in the yeah. in the sense of that's not enough to support that from that mm -hmm. tax standpoint. So yeah, Zillow and Redfin don't cut it. Exactly. <laughs> like, that piece. I see um, it all the time, but it doesn't cut it. You're like, that's why I wanted to stress that because documentation, right, in our industries is, hey, you've got to have documentation, right, to yeah, kind and of. And you want to have that. it from a reliable source. Right. Okay. So I think that's a key. So I appreciate you highlighting now the real estate piece of it as well. So putting that out there. Now, the other one kind of going to another topic is some may have spouses who um, worked with organizations or government entities that had pensions. And you probably start to hear, right, when they notify them, they now get an option of, do you want an annuity or do you want a lump sum payment? Right. Yeah. And so, too, if they don't understand 
the decision they make and what that entails. Can you talk a little bit about that and what you've come across? Yeah. So the the thing is, is a lot of times it, you you're uh, you're given an option if you want to take um, like the annuity or the pension all at once or over time. It's same. The other part is IRAs because you do a, a beneficiary rollover IRA. And um, the thing is, is though when you take the money out of those type of accounts, that's taxes ordinary income, just like W two income. So. It, if you take $50,000 out of that account, it's all taxed at ordinary income rates. And also it, it actually escalates your, your um, tax rates. So you may have been in a 20% tax bracket. Now you've, you're um, single and you've taken all this money out and now your tax rate is in 32% bracket. So that money is that you, um, you, that your you and your spouse saved is all of a sudden now most of it going to taxes. And so you, you do not want to take everything at once. If you have the option to take it over time, you're going to be in a lower tax bracket. The other thing is too, is that um, there's different um, time periods where you have to take things out by a certain time. And a lot of times that company will let you know what your options are on that. You can't just leave it in your, your um spouse's IRA sitting there forever, there is a point where it needs to be rolled over to a, a beneficiary IRA. So it, you want to make sure that you're following the type, I know, find out what the plan rules are, and that you're following in order to be able to qualify to take it over time. Right. So yeah, another a key factor there. And a lot of it too, it just depends on the entity, right? Because they could have some language that if it met a certain threshold, no matter what, it's kind of like you have to take that lump sum payment. Exactly. It depends. Exactly. But if you have the choice, knowing those two options and how to yeah. do that. No, exactly. Okay. Um, then Elisa, the next one that comes up too with, with some questions with um, within the widowed community is about life insurance. Talk about that. I mean, because I know a lot of folks think, is that taxable? Was that, you know, how how is that treated? But then too, with life insurance, I think the things that you've seen, because you highlighted it, it, this is a vulnerable community, right? And mm -hmm. so then this is where you get a lot of professionals because they go, ooh, dollars. Yep. How can I help? But sometimes some have different intent. So how, how do we help um, advise and protect folks from that? Yeah. So life insurance is great. It, it's, it's non-taxable. And so it usually it, it provides um, your loved ones a, a huge, a, a chunk of money to be able to kind of reset or at least make it through the next several years. If you have small children so that the, the spouse that's remaining, isn't so stressed as far as trying to balance raising children, working college education, um, doing those types of things. So when you get life insurance proceeds, just take it super slow. Very, very slow because the thing is, is like some of our knee-jerk reactions is I'm going to go pay off the house. Well, that, that may not be the best situation because you pay off the house. Now you're left cash poor, or if you need to get money back out of the house, you don't qualify for it because your income is much lower because now you've got a three children under the age of 10 and you can't work and you, you need, need that life insurance money to slowly live off of it and, and pay a place to live and make, meet your monthly expenses. So you want to take it super, super slow. So unfortunately, a lot of times when, um, the use, uh, professionals will see a, a life insurance policy, everybody's got advice. 
And that's great. You want to make sure that you get lots of advice from lots of different places and that you really think it through. Is this what I want to do? There is not an emergency in any of these decisions. There's no rush to pay off your house. It's still there. You can pay the mortgage off slowly over six months, nine months, two years until you kind of make a decision. There's not a rush. And so you want to just take it very, very slowly so you don't get yourself into a um, very cash poor situation that you're not able to um, uh, provide for yourself or your children or just keep that quality of life going. So one of the things is, is annuities. A lot of times um, there's a lot of professionals, they really promote annuities, but you really have to be aware that that locks up your money over a long period of time. And that may not be in your best interest, especially if you got um, older children ready to get ready to go off to college. And that some of that funds really needs to go towards um, helping them get through that, that time period. But you just really want to make sure you're 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 careful with your cash and just be really slow. There's no emergency. The emergency already happened. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> this is not one. Now, it's pause, right? There's a lot of what you're highlighting is pause, get that advice, think through it. Mm -hmm. And it's going to be individualized decisions, right? You're gonna, exactly. I think to highlight for the widow community is, you know, you do have all these different opinions coming at you, but you're going to have to pause. And, and what is best for you? and your immediate family, if you have children, right? Exactly. What, what is best there? And everyone means well, and they all have their own intentions or however they want to share, but ultimately it's about you. Yep. Yep. And then the other thing too, is you have to think about your, your spouse had just passed. And there's a lot of things that they, um, if they could talk to you, they would give you a lot of grace and you need to give yourself that grace too, in order to um, just take some time. I like how you said, yep, yeah, because there are many times I've thought, what would Keith say? What would yeah. Keith do? <laughs> yeah, no, you've got to give yourself some grace. I mean, it, you just really have to give yourself some grace and it, um, things change and you just have to kind of move forward and just, it. there's, there's, there's not an emergency. That, right. That's the part. The emergency happened when, when your loved one was going through, through their process. Yeah, right. That was an emergency. So tie this, Elisa, to, because um, this is another area I've been very passionate about, and I think it's going to be a, another future podcast, is, is coordinating with a trust attorney as well. But I know in the work that you do, you work very closely with trust attorneys because of looking at that life estate planning. And yeah. so highlight some of that work or some of the, the clients you've worked with in the specific scenarios, because, and, and I know this is kind of, there's it's the law, the, the estate law, but a lot of individuals think that, oh, I have a will, that's enough, right? But maybe highlight from your standpoint what you've seen, how important a trust is in the work that you're doing on that financial side. Yeah, having having an, an estate plan and a trust is just, it's just a must. And part of when you're going through that process with meeting with an estate attorney, they usually also help make sure that you have your advanced healthcare directive, your power of attorneys. And then a lot of times they also make sure that um, all the properties, your accounts and everything are titled correctly. So if something does, uh, when something does happen, that it's a much smoother transition to, to go through that there's a lot more of um, continuality. You're not, um, not everything's not stopped. And then you're waiting to try and get funds in order to help pay for some of those essential expenses that, that come up. Um, one of the things that is real very misleading is um, wills 
wills do not avoid probate. Wills designate who is supposed to get the um, the assets, but it does not avoid probate. If there are assets that are over $160,000, at least in Riverside County, then it has to go through probate. So if there's an account that is left out, like a large savings account that was emergency fund, and it's not put into a, um, a trust, and there was only a will, you're, you're going to be going through probate. I see it all, all the time. Houses, and probate, and probate like a it's like a year long process, right? Exactly. At the end of the day, when you, when you think about this, a lot of it goes towards attorney's fees because a lot of that's also set in statutory law as exactly. to what they get. And so here's everyone thinking, oh, I've got that will, I'm covered. You're going to end up paying a lot to attorneys. So the money that you would have spent on attorneys through probate, probably a lot less expensive had you just gone and done the trust. Exactly. Exactly. And then the other thing is too, is the probates that they can take up to nine months to a year. And that's at a fast pace. It, during COVID, we saw a lot of probates take two, two and a half years to, to go through the court process because of the backlog. And so that's a long time to have what was your emergency fund locked up. So you really want to make sure that um, things are titled correctly. You've got the proper documents and um, everything's in place. The other thing is too, I'm gonna to mention, Jenny, is that when you have the living trust and you have the power of attorney and the healthcare director and all that, it's not just for helping your spouse when they would pass, but now you're by yourself. And so that also, a lot of those documents will have secondary people on, on them. So if something happens to yourself, your kids are able to, to step in and help. And it also gives them a continuality with that trust because they'll have a successor trustee on there, what's supposed to happen. It gives people directions of what to do. I mean, that the healthcare directive, it's so important because that's actually the, the document that allows you to um, put lay your, your loved one to rest. Mm -hmm. That's the, the walking papers for that. So having all these documents in place, it just, it's a gift. It's a gift to your family. It really is. That is a great way to say it, it is a gift because it, without it, then you are adding extra stress, right? That whole probate mm -hmm. process in itself and that, and that's, and you, when you have different players, yes, you'll have the executor, but if you have tensions within the families, cause things evolve right after yeah. the death of a loved one. Um, but that, that trust is that roadmap and is there's just a, a ease of execution to a certain extent. Um, I know I, I've got a trust and we had our trust soon after my youngest was born. We, you know, we, our focus was around our kids. Yeah. Folks thought we were nuts getting this done in her late twenties, but that, and it's allowed us to, we amended it along the way, but it certainly in, in this situation gave me that ability to manage things. Of course, I came still with some roadblocks, but a lot less of a roadblock had it been the alternative. Exactly. And see, the the um, one thing that I, I'm going to just um, touch on a subject is a lot of people like to do what they call transfer on death accounts. And the one thing, it, it, it's great. But the problem is, is that account is locked until your loved ones are able to get your death certificate. So a lot of times loved ones are going to need to have like your, your, the burial expenses. Um, there's uh, medical expenses that come up, different things that it's a very expensive time that first month after someone passes and those funds are locked up until that death certificate comes. And during COVID, we saw that death certificates could take almost six, up to 60 days to get. So now all the finances are completely locked, locked up. The trust allows things to keep moving forward and not have that um, stop gate because someone passed. You're, you're, you're still given the powers to keep moving forward.
I'm glad you mentioned that because I have talked to a, a couple of widows who have this transfer not on death and mm -hmm. I, I highlighted, okay, it does kind of stall things a little bit, right? Yeah. All the contingency on these points that you just raised. So I think too, that's just another area of advice, right? Yeah. And then how does that tie in some cases then from the tax filing? So if someone has this estate in the trust, when they come to you, how does that work when the successor and then, yeah, you have successor trustees, but maybe walk through a scenario there when in managing the trust and then closing out maybe the tax requirements. Yeah. So usually what happens is when the first spouse passes, there's not, you still need to go see the state attorney, get documents um, fixed up, their certification of trust and whatnot. But it's not so much of a stop gate as when the final spouse passes. Th that's when it, it you have someone else that's stepping in and that allows them to have the walking papers in order to um, help do the administration process. And so usually when the first first spouse passed, everything's still reported underneath the social security number, not unless there's specific things that were put in the trust that create a, an, a what do they call it, a, like a bypass trust or marital trust, survivor's trust. There, there's sometimes we have different sets of children. So then certain funds will go to a different, um, have different beneficiaries. So they're put aside. And so that's by seeing the attorney to see how the trust was written so that you're following what was stipulated in that trust makes a big difference. But a lot of times um, when, when the first uh, spouse passes, there's not a trust filing, not unless there's specific language for assets to go to a, a, a different place. The, the last person to pass, then that's when we start getting into the trust filings. Cause once you pass that um, it's, income is not reported on underneath that person's social security number anymore. That's the ending. And then the beginning is the trust filings, then start getting filed until everything's distributed out to the beneficiaries. So well, at that point, that's when a new um, uh, tax ID has to be developed. Right? Exactly. Be filed, I should say, issued and, and exactly. It. It, it, the same thing would happen if you um, ended up just having a will, it goes to probate. It has a separate EIN number. That note, that person's no longer with us. They're not earning money. It, that it's done and then you have the new EIN number for the estate or the trust return at that point. Okay. That's a good point. Okay. So with that kind of, as we've been talking about the life planning aspect and so forth. So talk about, as you've worked with various clients, various time periods, like what are things that you think are important for whether it's married with no, I mean, single or married with no children parents with young children, empty nesters over 60, because life evolves, right? And so there's dif different considerations and decisions at different stages. What are your thoughts and maybe some of those takeaways for those different age groups, given the work that you do? Yeah. So e each, each different life stage has different considerations. So when you're married with no children, it, it's, it's two people that are married. You don't have the, maybe the considerations of, um, caregiving of, of, of dependents and whatnot, a lot of times it's um, it's not quite as complex, but it's still important that you have the documents in place because if you've grown assets together and you have a home and bank accounts and retirements, you need to make sure that there's still the, the beneficiary designations and things are, are, are um, basically processed correctly. So it, it's still a consideration. As far as like parents with young children, one thing that a, a person really needs to look into is benefits. 
there's a lot of benefits out there. When you have young children and your spouse has just passed is um, a lot of times there's social security benefits for um, children that are under 18. If you weren't working and were making under a, a um, income level that you allows you to also collect uh, social security death benefits, you want to make sure you call social security just to find out what, what your options are. But those things are in place to help um, surviving spouses to um, be able to care for their children and not be quite so stressed at that point. So, but the children's part of it is not taxable, right? For, so from that angle, that that's not taxable for the children. It's the, the unique nuance and considerations is for that spouse, right? Of, exactly. Of they get, and then what they may earn, right? Is where the, the threshold it, can end. It, exactly. So a lot of times there's a cap on what you can earn to still get death benefits, but the children aren't capped on the death benefits. And those benefits are reported underneath the children's social security number. So it doesn't even hit the um, the, the surviving spouse's tax return. It, it's a non-taxable benefit. The, I, the social security will still send like what a 1099 of some sort. Mm -hmm. right? but it's not exactly. Filed under for this for the child, right? Exactly. Yeah, and I think that's what you highlight with Social Security. I, there's a whole nother area there that you know for those listening to look into, right? There's different considerations, but as, as you highlighted, that surviving benefit for children, a lot of individuals don't know about that. Exactly. Um, when they do file, it does get trued up, right? They don't lose that. I mean, I'm sure there's some considerations, but no. they but that is something to put out there because. Again, you're in the midst of everything else. You may not know about that, but reach out to Social Security and find out what options are there. Exactly. You want to make sure that they know your spouse has passed and then ask what kind of benefits you would qualify for. Any, any type of income limitations on yourself as far as like if you were working, not working. And then um, the other thing, Jenny, too, we, we didn't really discuss apps, um, beforehand was Medi-Cal. Sometimes you also qualify for those type of benefits and um, covered California as because your health insurance may have ended. You, you weren't working. Your spouse was providing your, your health insurance. And then that comes to a, a point where you're, you're not having that benefit either. But there's there's all those benefits that are out there to, to help. Yeah, well, I'm glad you mentioned that. No, um, empty nesters. It, it, that's a whole different consideration. And see, a lot of times. um you're in that, that phase where your children are no longer with you. So then you don't, you, you don't have qualify for the, the tax statuses of the head of household um, status. And so you go quicker into like the single status and the higher tax brackets. And so you really want to um, make sure you've kind of got a heads up on that. You still got the same considerations because at that point as an empty nester, there's more retirement accounts that have accumulated because you're, you're getting closer to the retirement age and, and how that's handled. And if you met certain um, age thresholds to admit or take monies out of those without being penalized. So you, you want to just kind of get a list of all the assets, kind of figure out where you're at and, and what, what your options are. And then you've got over 60. When you're over 60 and um, there's, you're collecting pensions, there's social security, there's all sorts of things that you're collecting on is um, one of the things you really want to look at is, is that my husband's pension going to keep going after I passed when he retired was the paperwork sign that I would still receive it or does it end when, he, when he passes. So you've now got a, a completely different income threshold that's coming in. And so you really want to um, 
be aware of, of, of what happens. Social security, you may have both worked full-time and receiving both your own social security. One person passes, now you're only receiving one. So your income's cut way down. You really want to look at what am I going to be um, getting on a monthly basis? So you're not surprised. Right. And you just mentioned something, I think going back to the pension conversation and, and like what you're, and also life insurance is beneficiary. A lot of individuals, because if they do that during their new hire packet or things like that, they'll put something down, but they don't go back to look at who their beneficiaries were listed as or who it was. Exactly. I think that's just a nice, I call it like fiscal checkup kind of every yeah. year. No, it's just no. Make, or however, every so often, take a look who you've noted on there because it's during death, right? When things yeah. get distributed and let's say a life insurance and they say, oh, but that life insurance, the beneficiary is so-and-so. Well, yeah, I've, I've seen it where it was first wife and not third wife. And so now first wife's getting a nice life insurance payout, but third wife who they have, you know, four children with gets nothing. So you really want to look at um, designations, mm -hmm. pension designations, life insurance designations, IRA designations, who's the beneficiaries on, on these different designations. Just You can't just let it slide. And not having a designation is the worst because you're automatically going to probate and they get to decide who it is. Right. Exactly. So, yeah. Exactly. And so as you're saying, there's, there's some complexities, right? Cause there's their second marriages. And like you said, third, sometimes if there's multiple uh -huh. marriages kind of that have occurred and then how that comes into play along within the children. Right. So exactly. things get a little complex as yeah. you make yeah. some life decisions like that. How does that play out with, with this tax piece of it? Right? Yeah, exactly. Or life insurance and everything else. So yeah, I just, no. you just reminded me of that when you said beneficiary, cause I, I've heard of that as well with different, different folks. Yeah. Um, Make sure you change your spouse. <laughs> update your records accordingly, right? Um, well, you know, I appreciate your time because I mean, you, you covered a lot. And I think for the listeners, it's probably a lot for them to take all this in. But, um, you know, I, I, I think we, we've planted some seeds of things for them to consider, for them to evaluate. Um, I've also kind of put out there, there, there are some advocacy things that I think I, I'd like to run with, with a few um, kind of thoughts there, but, you know, at least if they've got any questions because of what you've shared, and this is definitely your area of expertise, what, what's the best way for them to reach out to you? So the best way to reach out to me is actually through my website. And my website is Elisa Meyer CPA, E-L-I-S-A Meyer, M-E-Y-E-R cpa.com. And I have a, um, a, a sheet on there that it can be filled out to ask questions and whatnot. And that would be probably the best way to reach out. I know that every situation is very specific, very specific. This is not a cookie cutter. Everybody's the same situation. It's very specific. And so you want to make sure that you're getting good advice on your specific situation. Right. And that's what I've shared, like with the, the widow community, each one of us from a grief journey standpoint is very unique, right? We may share some commonalities and certain things, but every grief journey is going to be unique. And so will these tax considerations and, and financial decisions are also going to be unique. Exactly. So, um, can't necessarily always necessarily compare it to someone else. Everyone's yep. scenarios are different. So um, again, like I mentioned earlier, Lisa, I know you're super busy with everything going on with the taxes right now. So I really appreciate your time uh, with us here. And in that way, you know, sharing this, this level of expertise and background, a wealth of knowledge of what you shared and, and things that most folks don't think about, right? Yeah. No. Yeah. I appreciate your time. No, you're welcome, Jenny. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. 
All right, thank you.